Well, hello, you are joining us today for our brand new series, Let's Talk About Sex. And of course, if you've been around at all, um, you'll realize that this is one of those topics that we don't hear a lot about um, in the church. And uh, I've just simply realized that, um, you know, when the church is reluctant to speak into an area of culture, what we'll find is that whatever the dominant voice in the culture is, that's what will be shaping and forming um, our worldview and our perspective um, on life. And the Bible has loads to say about sex. And today's message is actually a little bit cheekily called uh, the author of the orgasm. And that's just simply because God created sex. Can we just start there? <laughs> you know, I know sometimes we have this idea that, you know, Christian view on sex is quite boring and limited and judgmental and traditional. And the general feel is quite negative. It's just like, don't do it. You know, it's something to be afraid of. It's something to have all these boundaries around. And, and in contrast, the, the, the perspective of the world here in 2022 in the UK seems much more liberal, seems much more free, seems just much lighter, much more enjoyable. Hey, seeing as we're here, uh, let's just enjoy ourselves. Let's do it. Let's have sex. And so uh, for young people growing up in this environment, when, when we don't hear really the full body of teaching uh, on sex from the church, it can be a really difficult time. And so our goal in this series is to do a couple of things. What, one is to simply teach you what the Bible says, if you're interested in that. Um, and, and the other one is to, to, to give you a sense of confidence um, in, in existing in today's culture with maybe a countercultural perspective. And that is to say that God's viewpoint on all things, but in this topic on sex, um, is not only uh, reasonable, uh, is not only healthy and positive, but it's also good. And uh, I really believe that if we apply the wisdom of God into our lives, we're going to see us living healthy uh, lives in every way. And that's got to include in our perspective, perspective and thinking um, around sex. Um, so um, this is going to be fun. And uh, we're really taking a, a dive in. And let me just encourage you, if you haven't yet heard week, week one, we've really spent some crucial time um, investigating the cultural worldview that we live in and, and starting to understand the logical extensions of that, the conclusions of that culture. Very specifically, we've been talking about evolution, atheism, and a, and a naturalistic worldview. You know, if we are just mammals, as the song says, if we're just a product of nature and now we're here, well, of course, we're going to go, well, let's just have fun. Let's just enjoy ourselves. But if we have been created by God, that has huge ramifications about how we see um, our lives. Um, so that's a really important thing to understand. So the first thing I just want to simply uh, acknowledge and say is that uh, the Christian perspective is never to control what people can or should or should not do. And, um, you know, we've seen in the past, in the history of our nation and nations in our, in our world, that, um, uh, that there have been times where certain things have been um, just, just the legal implications of not agreeing with a Christian perspective have not been right. I fully believe, you know, laws that criminalize homosexuality are completely wrong. And uh, we should not be telling people in a, a, a coercive, by force way, this is how you have to live your life. I believe that the Bible teaches and that God's heart is that every single person gets to choose 
how they live their life. It's free will. It's freedom of choice. It's, 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 this is such an important concept for us to understand. And so from a church perspective, when people ask me, hey, what do you think about this? What do Christians believe about this? It's like, well, there's kind of two questions here. Because one thing is, first of all, you need to understand that you have total autonomy over your life. And isn't that because God is love? You know, love is never forceful. Love doesn't coerce. Love doesn't restrict people's choices. Uh, and, and, and what's so amazing about God is God created us with fully distinct will. But of course, God has an idea about what is good and what is healthy. And we're going to find that if we listen to God, we should hope that actually we're going to do better. But God never forces himself. You know, a parent has to find that, that moment, you know, when kids are young, you know, sure, there's limitations and boundaries, but as that child gets older, um, there has to be that release of control and that release into the world where that young person gets to make their own decisions and figure out for themselves. And the hope is that the parent has done a great job in raising that child that when they enter into adulthood, they're actually not just going to survive, but they're also going to thrive. And I really believe that this is God's heart for you. And I would have to start from a confidence in understanding that God is for you and God is for your choice. God is for you to choose how you want to live your life. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that God has a design for your life. And God has a pattern for your life. God has a framework for your life. And, and God has a framework for all of life, the elements of life. And so <laughs> the, the thing about following Jesus is, is that by definition, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was forced to the cross. We might think that, you know, we might think if we look at the story, you know, he was killed um, by other people, right? And so he was crucified by other people. But when we look through the story, what we actually find is we see Jesus who can still the storm. We see Jesus who can heal the sick. And even he says to one of the disciples who's getting a bit angsty and brings out a sword to protect him in that moment of his betrayal, he, he says, don't, don't you know that I can, I can call down legions of angels to protect me right now. No, this is my choice. And so what you see so beautifully expressed by Jesus is that he makes this choice to go to the cross. And by going to the cross, he fulfills purpose. He fulfills scripture. And of course, he sees us saved and set free and forgiven. And everything about the Christian message, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he went willingly. He surrendered in the, in, the, in, the, in the fullest possible way his body to God, his body to his Father in heaven, his body to the cross, and he did it out of love. See, Jesus wasn't forced to the cross. Jesus went willingly. And we need to understand that by definition, if we want to be followers of Jesus, we too have to make the decision to follow Jesus to the cross. Because if we're going to follow him, we have to be where he's, he's, he's being. <laughs> we have to go where he's going and we have to be led to where he's leading to us to. And so I think sometimes in our world, people want to have it a little bit of both ways. It's like, well, I want to keep total free will and choice, but I also don't want to really go where, where Jesus wants me to go. And the thing is that you, you have to make a choice how you want to live your life. And that is totally 
okay. And so in all of this teaching, I want to frame that in this way that I'm not of the opinion, of the opinion that you should do X, Y, Z. I'm of the opinion that you should live your life how you see fit. But what I want to do is I want to simply extrapolate and help share and understand the viewpoint of God on sex so that we could too can willingly choose to follow Jesus to the cross. And here's the beautiful thing that happens at the cross. It's that point of surrender where we not only experience death to the old, but we also enter into a new life. And so this is a crucial Christian concept. You, you can't follow Jesus unless you, you go to the cross. Um, you know, it just, it's kind of like pretty central. <laughs> you know, have you ever wondered why there's so many crosses everywhere? Well, that's why, because it's a central doctrine. It's not sidelined, it's not fringe. There's, there's no alternative perspective. Anyone who says that is deceiving themselves. Uh, we need to understand that following Jesus is about surrendering your life to him. And your life includes everything. It includes your body, includes your mind, includes your spirit, includes your relationships, includes your work. It, there's, there's no part of your life that God doesn't want to be involved in, but God will not force you to follow him. And that is love. That's the beauty of the Christian uh, message. So, so we willingly surrender the choice to do whatever we want. And this is, this is what the, the Apostle Paul describes in 1 Corinthians, um, he says in chapter 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for, for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. He's saying, look, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I, I, I can make whatever choices I see fit. But he says, just because I can make a choice doesn't mean I should make a choice. He's saying not everything is going to be helpful for me. Let's keep reading. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, that's Jesus, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual and moral person sins against his own body. But do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, so right here, Paul is teaching us, you can do whatever you want, exactly what I've just described. You, you have free will to choose how you want to live your life. But he's saying, don't you understand that something has taken place at the cross? When you began, began to follow Jesus, you made the choice to surrender your body to Christ. And that means surrendering uh, around all aspects of sex. That means surrendering our behavior. That means surrendering the choices that we make. And Paul is saying here, is, this is really important to understand because this is a crucial difference from how the world sees sex and how God sees sex. That sex is not just physical. So don't you understand that the two become one? There's something that takes place, not just on a physical level, although of course, but also on a spiritual level and on an emotional level. 
Okay, so here's what's happening. Since you become one, there's, there's something about sex that joins people together in the most intimate way. I mean, it's obvious when you think about it, but because we get rid of those side of things when we talk about sex, we just think, oh, it's just a feeling. It's just two people having a great time. They can do whatever they want. You know, it's like, yeah, if that's the only thing that's happening. Uh, but God is saying that's not the only thing that's happening. There's, there's, there's something else taking place on a spiritual level that you are joining your life with another person. You are joining your soul with another person. You are becoming vulnerable to another person. You are exposing the innermost parts of who you are to another person. And here's the thing we need to understand is because God thinks sex is amazing because he created it, but we need to understand that everything that is powerful can also be dangerous. I mean, if, if we think about the, the heartache in the world, and what is the greatest pain that a human being can experience? Well, we might go for a list, but I, I'm pretty sure we would come straight back to betrayal. <laughs> when someone close to us who we have exposed our soul to, both in sexual relationships or just generally, when those who are closest to us betray our trust and break our hearts, is that not the greatest pain? Is that not the greatest heartbreak? Is that not the most devastating thing a person, a human being can experience? You see, vulnerability, love requires vulnerability. But when we are vulnerable to the wrong people, or when we are vulnerable to, to too many people, when we expose our soul when it should not be exposed, we're going to open ourselves up to being desperately hurt. And God, because he loves us, because he loves us, he says, I've got a pattern. I've got a design for this beautiful, amazing thing called sex. And here's how you can protect it. Here's the context where it fits. Here's, here's where it will be blessed. Here's where it will edify you and lift you and, 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 and bless your life in so many ways. Here's where it will improve your life. It says it will, it will bless you in a context of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman in a relationship where they have not only just jumped into something without thinking about it, but that they have actually entered into a covenant relationship that says, I vow that my life will forever be yours and I will not break your trust. See, that's something so profound, so deep, so intimate. And isn't, isn't it intimacy that we really crave to be known by another person? You see, we can have sex with loads of people. The options are out there. <laughs> but are we really going to experience intimacy? No, 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 no. God has designed sex to be with one person in not just a shallow relationship that we might get with many, but in a deep relationship where we, we fully expose our heart. You see, the, the world's perspective on sex is so shallow. It's so limited and it's so cheap. But God's perspective on sex is that it is so valuable, it is so precious, and it is so beautiful, and He created it. He is the author of every part of it, the pleasure of it, the wonder of it, the beauty of it, to becoming one. God isn't against sex. 
Let's, let's, please, let's stop thinking that the devil created sex. The devil hasn't created anything good. God created everything good. It's him. He's the creator. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of pleasure. So if we want to understand how to live life to the full, shouldn't we pay attention to what God has to say about it? He's not a killjoy. <laughs> and this is where we have to make our decision. Do we want to live life my way or do I want to listen to what God says? Do I trust that God actually is for me and has my best interests? Or am I just a bit anxious? Am I looking for fulfillment? Am I looking, trying to fill the gap in me with intimacy? But it's not the right sort of intimacy if we don't find it in the context of a covenant between two people who are deeply committed to one another, not just for a few years, but for the rest of their lives. Till death does part, I'm here. I will not betray you. I will not neglect you. I will not forget about you. I will not turn away from you. Isn't this the essence of like every great story you ever see, every great film you ever see, this beautiful, wonderful love? I want more of that in our world. I want to see more of that sort of deep, intimate, vulnerable love. See, sex is not just physical. Sex is deeply spiritual. But what we're going to find is if we investigate a little bit further into the science, we're actually going to find that it super matches what the Bible says. Because sex is not just physical and spiritual. Sex is also emotional. <laughs> there's, there's chemicals that are released during sex. Dopamine, most of us have heard of. There's pleasure. Woo! That's the obvious one. But there's also another chemical. I'm not a scientist, by the way, so you can Google all this. Called oxytocin. And oxytocin is what creates trust. It's like a bond. It's like a glue. That, that, that when we have sex with a person, what takes place is that we begin to bond with that person on a deep emotional level. We begin to trust that person, regardless of whether they're trustworthy. <laughs> you know, when they say love is blind, that's what it's referring to. It's a chemical thing that takes place. But we enter too quickly into a relationship and we enter too quickly into bed. What we're going to find is that we actually become blind and we begin to open up our soul to somebody who may not really be there for the long haul. We don't know. But God is a protector. God is a father and God wants the best for you. So he says, I've got a great idea. Why don't you just keep this in the context of marriage? If you do that, you're going to find you're going to get all of the good parts. And all the bad parts are going to be greatly minimized. Because that's the thing, isn't it? You can still have bad marriages. You can still find that not everybody keeps their commitments. You can still find unfaithfulness. You can still find all of those things in married people as well as unmarried people. So that's, that's not the point here. It's not, it's not going to be perfect. But that's the wonder of marriage is that it's something to work at. The two becoming one constantly. This journey together to become more united to become more unified, to become together, to become one. This is God's purpose for sex. See, sex is not just about having kids. Sex is actually about intimacy. Having kids as well is a cool thing. God loves that. God loves human beings. So why wouldn't he want more of them? <laughs> God loves children. God loves New life, it's 
in everything that God is. But we need to understand that sex is a gift for marriage and it is best experienced in marriage. So what do we, what do, we do with that? You know, I imagine maybe there's some people watching today and you're not married. Um, maybe you're in a different context. Maybe you're single. Uh, maybe you're in a relationship. Maybe you're in a pretty intimate relationship, but you're not married. Uh, maybe you're not attracted to the opposite sex. I, I don't know. There could be a whole array of scenarios that sounds like you are being excluded from something that is so wonderful. And I, I really understand that perspective because that's, that is what it sounds like. It sounds like if sex is only for marriage between a man and a woman, then, well, that's, that's pretty limiting. How can a good God, this is the question, how can a, a loving God create something so wonderful and yet not want us to experience it? That's what it feels like. Well, we need to understand something really important here. And, and that is that the, the marriage is this reflection of this greater thing, this greater reality. Okay, I want to, I want to just talk you through it for a moment. You know, it, it's funny, isn't it, that, 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 that the goal of life, it seems in our culture, is to find the one. I wouldn't say get married because that doesn't feel like it's necessarily the goal, but to, to find the one, find the person who is going to complete you. I mean, every film is there, right? You know, romantic love. It's very rare that the hero and the heroine don't get together at the end. It's very rare. <laughs> it's like, it happens like all the time. It's like, kill all the bad guys and sort of then, oh, fall in love. You know, just over the course of this drama and this adventure. And, uh, and so it is easy for us, because this is not just a thought that is in culture, it's also a thought that is in the church. It's also a thought that comes often from your parents. Hey, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to get married? Gosh, you're getting a bit old. All of these things that we hear around us reinforce this idea that marriage is the goal. And you may even think from, from today's message that I'm saying that marriage is the goal, but I'm not. I'm simply just saying that marriage is this wonderful, beautiful, incredible thing, as is sex. It's a gift from God. But we need to understand that, that, that our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was never married. Paul, the apostle, whose words we read here, was never married. He was single. And so it's not a question of one being lesser than the other, marriage being here, singleness being here. That's actually because we've made marriage, we've made romance into an idol in our culture. And so we truly believe that if we, if we say that a group of people should not experience that, it's because we hate them or because we don't care about them, or we're unfeeling towards that, that group. But we just need to understand that that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that marriage is wonderful, and that singleness is wonderful. It doesn't say that one is better than the other. It says that they both have unique values and unique blessings. In marriage, of course, you, have, you get to go deep into relationship with one person. So that's a really deep relationship. But you're going to find that, that you only have a certain amount of space in your life for relational uh, a bandwidth. And so when you get married, we've been married coming up to 13 years, it changes your other friendships. You can't live that sort of life. And when many people, as they often do, have kids, that also, it's the deepening of relationships with a few. And so you end up with these incredibly deep but fairly limited amount of relationships 
In contrast, when you're single, you may not have that sort of depth of relationship with one or two or three people, your kids, wife, husband, etc. But what, what you do have is you have this incredible breadth of experience and life. You see, marriage shows the depth of God. Singleness shows the breadth of God. They're not better or worse. They're just different. And you might think, well, but I really want to get married. That's okay. You can desire one above the other. I'm just trying to help us understand that there is an idol in our society and also in the church right now that puts marriage at the top. But that's not how God sees it. Otherwise, Jesus would have got married. If we're here to be disciples of Jesus, (laughs) you see, marriage is not the highest goal. But marriage is a picture of the highest goal. Okay, here's what I want to read you in Ephesians. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 22. And this is an often misquoted and out of context sort of scripture. So we're going to read the whole thing together. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, so that's, that's, like, that's the bit that we normally get a bit upset about. Whoa, what? But I just want, to, I want you to understand for a moment that the, the, the Bible is not describing women to have to be subservient. That's not what it's describing. It's not like, you know, hey, should we go rob a, a bank? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. No, 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 that's not how it works. You don't have to go along with everything that your husband says if it's stupid. (laughs) It's, It's simply saying, it's simply acknowledging that there is a headship role taking place. And we could spend more time really digging into that, but I just need you to understand that what we're about to describe here, let's keep reading on. We're gonna see that we're being, uh, the description is of two parts who are different, but equally valued. That's the picture here for marriage. And if we value one of those things more than the other, that's actually a sign of where we're at and where culture is at rather than uh, the word of God. Because it goes on to say this, and let me just say that this section of scripture is much longer. This is much longer the instructions to the guys. The girls, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here we see two different, and we're going to talk more about this next week, Two different male, female, husband, wife coming together, different values. Uh, They bring something different. And the way that they love is slightly differently expressed. The wife for submission and the husband for sacrifice. When you really think about it, they're both the highest expression of love that we find in Jesus Christ. He submitted himself to his father. So submission is not weak when you choose to do it. When you choose to surrender, nobody sent Jesus to the cross. He chose. He submitted himself to the will of the Father out of love. And he sacrificed himself 
on the cross. The two highest expressions of love coming together. So please, let's not get it unbalanced. Let's just understand what this is trying to capture here. And, and here's the beautiful reality is that this beautiful picture of marriage is not the goal. It is a reflection. It is a picture of something more profound taking place. And that is the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus gave up his life, sacrificed for the church. Now we too are to listen, to, to, to respect, to honor him, to allow him to be head of our lives. But in doing so, we don't find ourselves to be, to be uh, squashed, to be limited. We actually experience fullness of life. So we're going to find that just in, as in a bad marriage, these principles may not work very well. But that doesn't mean that they're the, that the wrong principles. It just means that our human way of translating them into reality hasn't always been great. And we could find a thousand million examples where that has been the case. But God's design for us, well, that's that's different. That's a concept. It's a standard, something that we yearn to live up to. And as we allow the the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us, we're actually going to find we're going to begin to fulfill that. And day by day in our marriages, we get stronger and stronger. And the way that we love one another is better and better. And we are learning and we are growing and we're becoming two is becoming one. But I need you to understand this. Friends, the goal is not marriage. The ultimate goal is to be in the church to be loved by God, to be in relationship with him. And I love what it says here. It says that he might sanctify her, that she might become holy. You see, we may find on this earth that we may not be married. We may live our lives as single and that is okay because we are not excluded because the highest goal is to be included in the church that is loved by Jesus Christ. And we find that day by day, it talks about how how we're being sanctified, that we may become holy and we are being changed by the love, the sacrificial love of God as he lays down his life for us. And daily we are filled with the knowledge of his love. We are being perfected. We are being made holy and we are becoming everything that we are called to be. You see, the goal of life is to experience that. And for all of eternity, those who accept Jesus as Lord, we are included in the greatest reality of love. When culture makes a romantic relationship the goal, an idol in our world, well, of course, the teaching of God doesn't make sense. We say, well, It's unfair. It's not right. It's not good. But when we understand that neither marriage or singleness is a goal, but simply states of being, parts of the gifts of God to us in this life, if we can redefine those things to fit properly under the greatest reality of love, we're going to actually find that we experience freedom in Jesus. We're going to experience this sanctification, being perfected, every spot, wrinkle and blemish, in our soul, in our physicality, being brought into submission under Christ. This is the greatest story. And romantic love is a picture, a reflection of it. But we've often made it an idol. And so marriage is wonderful, but it is not the goal. The goal is obedience. The goal is holiness. The goal is to be the bride of Christ. Gosh, this has just been so profound makes me so excited to think about the love of God. 
we can find that all of those things that we looked for in another person, we can actually find those in Jesus. Isn't it true that we often are looking for those things? We're looking for completion. We're looking for, for, for those insecurities to find, to find comfort. We find, we're looking for affirmation. We're looking for intimacy. Friends, you have a God who loves you. We have Jesus who literally gave his literal life for you and I. To find if we follow him, we can experience all of those things. I'd love to pray for you today. Maybe some of you are in a point of decision that you need to decide I can do whatever I want, but just like Jesus, I'm going to willingly choose to surrender my life to him, to his way, to his lordship. If you want to make that decision today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you want to pray this back. And it's just a simple prayer that makes Jesus Lord. And it's the greatest prayer you can ever pray. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm here just as I am. And I receive right now forgiveness for every sin I've committed, all of my wrongdoing. I thank you that you went to the cross with me. And so I choose also come to the end of myself, receiving your grace, that I could be made new in Christ. Amen. That prayer is the most beautiful, incredible prayer because it makes Jesus Lord. And this is the beginning of our journey and our relationship and following him. And everything else, we've got to figure it out. We've got to walk through our feelings. We're going to walk through the thoughts that we have. We're going to walk, walk through the temptations of this world. And hey, that's difficult. And that's not um, something that is solved by getting married. Just so you know, getting married doesn't solve temptation. You still got to carry a cross. You still got to keep walking with Jesus. And so that's another lie that the church has sometimes said. We need to understand uh, is not actually the case. Everybody has a cross to carry. And I want to just say this at the church. Is, is not the place where perfect people are. The, the church is the place where we are as imperfect people going on a journey together where we are being perfected by the love of God. So whoever you are and wherever you are at right now, I want to remind you, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you, don't be disconnected from the body of Christ because you feel like you don't fit into a category because you feel like, I don't know if I, I, I've got it all sorted. I don't know if I agree with everything yet. I don't know what I think about everything yet. Just know that the church community is the place that we can actually explore these, these, these questions and these issues and have these, these conversations together in community. And so we're going to find that if we can create an atmosphere of grace and kindness where every person can bring where they are to the table, we're going to, we're going to experience the love of God and hearts will be transformed. So it's a call to grace to all of us as we talk about these things, that we wouldn't be judgmental or black and white, but we'd bring the complexity of truth and the complexity of grace into these conversations. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining today. I hope this has been helpful, encouraging. Um, and uh, we've got a few more weeks in the series. So keep tuning in and do come and join us in person as well. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, in London across two locations in the Docklands and Ballam. So you are invited. Get in the room. It's a great place to be and to really plug into community. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening today. We'll see you soon.